establishing ourselves. We're here on part eight today. And it says this, self-control is necessary to remain pure. Now, we live in a country, we live in a day and age when self-control is not really pushed. Yeah, there's people on, on TV that say at Thanksgiving, the, the most important thing is to push away from the table and, you know, don't eat too much turkey and dressing and not too many mashed potatoes. And they're doing that because they want to protect y'all's waistlines and keep you healthy and keep down heart disease and all that good stuff. And I'm all for that stuff, you know. Um, I used to be 275. I'm now 230-something. Anyway, so <laughs> I came down a little bit, but I want to stay where I am and maybe drop a few more pounds sometime when I have time to worry about it. But this kind of self-control is different. This is the kind of self-control that we don't see in the American marketplace. With elections, you know, having just passed by. I wonder about the people who serve us, if they truly have self-control. I wonder if any one of us put in a position where we could get fame, glory, money, wealth, and pleasure simply by compromising our Christian beliefs. I wonder how many of us would be strong enough to do that. Not just once, but every day. Be able to be strong enough every single day to say no to the continual assault on our integrity that makes us want to cave in and get more for ourselves. I think you'll see what we're talking about today. Book of Nehemiah chapter 5. <laughs> Nehemiah 5, 14 and 15 is where we're going to start today. Be careful what you take. Now, I didn't finish the sentence because there's two ways to take this. I said this, be careful of what you take for yourself because what you take for yourself is what you take from others you ever heard of me time I think I'm really sick of hearing about me time I need some me time well you know what me time means me time means I'm more important than anybody else now first of all ladies as a mom you do need some time to keep yourself mentally sane okay if you're around children all day long around your husband all day long may God have mercy on your soul anyways you do need some time when you can get off with the Lord and have some time of private meditation and prayer guys same thing you need to take time away from work time away from the honeydew list but you need to take time to get along with the Lord and recharge your batteries me time should be me with the Lord time take a look at this we're in chapter 5 verse 14 furthermore from the day King Artaxerxes appointed me to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th year, meaning the 20th year of his reign, until his 32nd year, 12 years in total, I and my associates never ate from the food allotted to the governor. The governors who preceded me had heavily burdened the people, taking food and wine from them, as well as a pound of silver. Their subordinates also oppressed the people, but I did not do this because of the fear of the Lord. Now, if you got up early this morning, you could have gone on to the television and looked at Charles Stanley preaching this morning. I love Charles. He's what I want to be when I grow up. I want to be Charles Stanley because he's really skinny and a good photographer. Anyways, he was preaching about fear this morning. He said there's two kinds of fears. There's the fear that says I am afraid of being hurt. And that's the fear that says don't fear men and what they can do to you. All they can do is kill you. Instead, you need to reverence, fear the Lord. It says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, right? The reverence for who God is, for his power, for his authority, for his sovereignty. That's where it begins. That's where Nehemiah began. 
we see today for the very first time, Nehemiah was not just a cupbearer. He was not just there visiting Jerusalem. Artaxerxes, the king, had made him the governor of the whole thing. Look at all that Nehemiah has done, working day and night, saying that I did not even change my clothes. I stayed at the wall. I stayed at the work site. He was the governor. He was not supposed to do anything. He was just supposed to make sure that things got done. Now, many people have those types of jobs in the world where you're really supervising other people and you're really not supposed to do anything. Here's the thing. Sometimes when you have a job as a supervisor, it's implied that you're supposed to be actively involved. But what happens is you can get away with doing nothing. Nehemiah could have done that. Nehemiah could have sat in his palace, eating his grapes, drinking his wine with all of his dancing girls. He could have done that and commanded them to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. But he didn't do it. He went out there and he was with them in the midst of it. Think about it. We talked about the mission team this morning. We talked about 10 people from Revolution going to the Philippines. Now it's time for us to decide, are we committed to this thing or are we content to sit back and let somebody else do the work. That happens. Maybe there's a financial reason why you can't go. Then you can't go. Maybe there's a health reason you can't go, so you don't go. But here's the thing. When the dental truck is here, and the dentists and the hygienists and the dental assistants are out there doing what they do because they're trained to do it, what hinders any of us who have time off from work who have the ability and the heart from being here and handing out clothes and handing out food and handing out water, possibly even being here and using the skills that you've acquired as a nurse to go ahead and do some simple medical testing that might save a life. You see, missions is not for them, it is for us. Look at this. He was appointed by Artaxerxes to be their governor in the land of Judah from the 20th year to the 32nd year. 12 years he served. That's a long time as a governor. Most governors got greedy. Most governors got selfish. Most governors either got killed or got replaced. So it tells you a lot about this man because for 12 years he served and the king was content to let him serve. That means he did a good job. But now notice this. I and my associates never ate from the food allotted to the governor. We're going to see in a minute that the people of Jerusalem, the people under his authority, had to give him food, wine, animals, as well as it says, as a pound of silver. They had to pay money to him to keep their positions and to keep what they had. Now here, you ask yourself, what does this mean to us? Well, none of us are governors. None of us are in a position where we can exercise that type of authority. Consider this. 1 Kings chapter 12 tells the story of Rehoboam. Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had come to Shechem to make him king. Your father made our yoke heavy, talking of Solomon. Now therefore lighten the heavy service of your father and his heavy yoke on us, and we will serve you. Solomon had built the largest empire that Israel had ever known. He had the shipyards at the top of the Red Sea. This man had ships, he had armies, he had troops, he had palaces, he had a thousand women. That just shows you he was mental at the end. Okay, here's the thing. Consider how expensive one wife is. Not mine, of course, but all of y'all's. Consider how expensive wives are. It takes a lot to keep them looking that good and with the right accoutrements and all the stuff that goes with, amen? 
gentlemen, she was shaking heads by now. It's true. And that shows that we love them. How expensive would it be to maintain a thousand of them? Can you imagine your wife times a thousand? You had to feed them, clothe them, bag them, shoe them, ring them, necklace them. <laughs> Think about that. It's an expensive hobby to have a thousand. But Solomon taxed all the people. He taxed them until they were broke to support his lavish lifestyle. Not so smart at the end, was he? Then King Rehoboam took counsel with the old men. If you're over the age of 40, you should appreciate this. He took counsel with the old men who stood before Solomon, his father, and yet they were still alive. He said to them, uh, and they said to him, if you will be a servant to this people today, notice this, if you, king, will be a servant to the people and serve them and speak good words to them, when you answer them, then they will be your servants forever. What did the old men say? Your dad was a little heavy-handed. You need to lighten up on people. You need to lighten up a little bit. And the young men who had grown up with Solomon, I'm skipping a few verses, said to him, Thus you shall speak to this people who said to you, Your father made our yoke heavy, but you lighten it, and, this, and then we will serve you. Thus you shall say to them, My little finger is thicker than my father's thighs. He wasn't meaning literally. He just meant, I'm a heavier burden than my dad ever was. And the king answered the people harshly, and forsaking the counsel of the old men that the old men had given him, he spoke to them according to the counsel of the young men who had absolutely no idea what they were talking about. Young men are often carried away with power and greed and avarice. You know, Edson, I'm telling you, man, God bless you with the job. But when you walk in that job, walk in integrity. Because people are going to look at you. You're a young man. They're going to expect you to be aggressive, trying to get somebody else's job, trying to work your way up the ladder, trying to make money any way you can. They're going to figure that you're like a senator or a congressman today. You spend millions of dollars to get a job that doesn't hardly pay anything. Now, what sense does that make? No sense unless, of course, you take lobbyists into, uh, into your opinion who give you tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars under the table that suddenly fatten up your bank account, but then they own a piece of your soul. How many people who take positions of power and authority abuse it? I'll, I'll give you this. How many pastors in America today demand exorbitant salaries for their specialized education and wind up bleeding and destroying the church. It happens every day. So it says to hear that Rehoboam had forsaken the wisdom that the old man had given him. He spoke to them according to the counsel of the young man, saying, my father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to your, your yoke. Do you think that blessed Israel? Do you think it blessed Rehoboam? Notice what this says. So Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. Because Rehoboam did not listen to wise counsel, the city and the whole country rose up against him. But you see, Nehemiah didn't do that. Nehemiah could have gotten food. He could have gotten wealth. He could have gotten women. He could have had anything he wanted to do if he would only compromise the trust of the king and the integrity of the God who put the burden on his heart but he wouldn't do that. I ask you today, church, where are you tempted to compromise in your life? Where are you, where are you tempted to compromise? Heard a story. This was back in Washington State. This guy got a job working 40 hours a week, and he was able to bless his family. Then, you see, he saw a chance to make more money, so he started to work 50 hours a week. 
when he got to 90 hours a week, his wife left him. He didn't know why. Do you know why his wife left him? Because he was married to the job and not to her. It wasn't right. That marriage could have been saved. It could have been saved. But they simply chose not to save it. You see, here's the thing. What do you put ahead of God's call for integrity in your life, in your marriage, in your workplace, in your other relationships? What do we put up there? What do we sell out for? That's my question today. It says this in 2 Peter 2.19. They promised them freedom, speaking of those who talk about cheap religion. They promised them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. How is it that in America today, people are addicted to their computers? People have relationships with their Facebook account or other types of things. I once ran into a person, <laughs> preach it now. I ran into a person, this was a young person, and this person was under the age of 30, and I asked him, how often do you date, son? He says, I don't. I said, what do you mean you don't date? You're like 29. He says, well, I don't have time to date. Really? What do you do? Well, I work eight hours a day, and I Facebook 10. I'm thinking, you sleep six hours? He says, yeah. And I'm thinking, so what, what kind of relationships? Well, you know, I have this friend on the gaming site, and I have this friend on the Facebook site, and I have this friend over here on this other social networking site. And I said, but don't you have any real friends? Oh, but friends are so much trouble. You have to take them out to eat. You got to spend time. This one, I can just get online. I can chat and I can get off. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. But when five years go down the road, 10, I'm sorry, dating when you're 21 is easy. Dating when you're 31, not so easy. Dating when you're 41, 51, 61, darn near impossible. Can I get an amen from somebody? Think about this. What do you sell out for the things of convenience in life? These people in 2 Peter, they were saying that you can have everything. Jesus forgave you. You can go live any kind of life you want to. You can drink this, eat that, sleep with this. You can do whatever you want to. You're free. Here's the thing. You're not free because this says right here, the people who tell you that are themselves slaves of their own passion, enslaved by their own desires, our desire for money, the cosmetics industry in our nation is a multi-billion dollar industry. You know why? Because they keep telling you, ladies, that you're not good enough the way you are. You've got to paint this and dye this and nip this and tuck that, okay? And if you're not a size this, you're just not good enough, so you've got to spanks this and you've got to spanks that. That's a joke for women. Anyways... Here's the thing, we're letting them lead us into this lifestyle that is not godly, but is consumed with physicalness that, I'm sorry to tell you, but at 49 I can tell you, whatever you had, you're going to lose it, I guarantee. Anyways, Galatians 5.13, for you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Nehemiah got it. I can sit on my butt and do nothing and eat and drink and be treated like a god, but instead I choose to serve the people of God. I choose to serve people. I choose to be where God is, whether that's a dental missions truck, going to the Philippines, or, or simply going to the neighbor across the street who is lonely, 
going to that person who needs a phone call. You know, I mean, that's what it comes down to. Miss Kathleen had her phone turned off. She just turned it off, and I tried to call her. You had us panicked for two weeks. We didn't know where you were because we cared. You see, but here's the thing. At least she knows now that somebody would notice if she dropped dead today. That's important. That's important. So when he says, you know, be careful what you take to yourself. Be careful what you make the center of your life. Your job can't be your life. Your career can't be your life. Your bank account can't be your life. One more dive in, in Wall Street, and none of us are going to have savings left. If you have any left, feel blessed. Because right now, you can't put faith in anything of this world. Just because you get a college degree doesn't mean you can find a job. Seriously. It's easier to be a, a broke, you know, freshman in, high school, in college with, with just a little bit of, it's better to be that than to be a college graduate. Because if you're a broke freshman in, in college, they'll at least give you a job at McDonald's. Once you get a college degree, they're afraid to hire you. You know why? You might be smarter than them and replace them. Let's press on. There we go. Press on. So Nehemiah 5, 16 through 18. First thing about self-control, be careful what you take to yourself. Because Nehemiah re realized if you're pulling it to yourself, you're taking it away from somebody else. The time that you keep for you is time you're keeping from the Lord and from your family. Nobody ever died and on their deathbed said, I wish I had spent more time at work. They always say, I wish I had spent more time with my kids or my wife or my friends or my church. Let's go on. Nehemiah 5, 16 through 18. You've got to keep your eyes on the prize. I stole this from a pastor I know. He preached a great sermon. If I ever lived to be that good of a preacher, I will have lived a long time. Keep your eyes on the prize. He says this, instead, instead of all this other stuff that Nehemiah could have done, I devoted myself to the construction of the wall and all my subordinates were gathered there for the work. He didn't let anybody off the hook. If he worked, everybody worked. All the other officials, all the other people who thought they were too good to get their hands dirty, he put them to work on the wall. We did not buy land. There were 150 Jews and officials, as well as guests from the surrounding nations at my dinner table. Each day, one ox, six choice sheep, and some fowl were prepared for me. An abundance of all kinds of wine was provided every 10 days, but I did not demand the food allotted to the governor because the burden on the people was so heavy. He said it again. The burden on the people was so heavy. Look at this. I devoted myself to the construction, and he notes, I did not buy any land. Now, as the governor, he had a great opportunity. Just like some of our congressmen and senators, some, not all, there are good godly people up there on the hill. But some people use their position to find out about deals, sweetheart deals, we call them, where you get a lot for a very little. You find out that this land is going to go into foreclosure, this land is going to become available, and you steal it, you suck it up at a cheap price, and you use it to profit yourself instead of profiting others. Remember last week, we talked about all the stealing that had gone on and selling children into slavery and, and losing their land. And Nehemiah says, I had no part of this. I didn't buy any land. I didn't profit from my service to the people. Now look at this. There's 150 Jews and officials, guests from surrounding nations, all seated at his dinner table. Now each day there's an ox, six sheep, some fowl, and a bunch of wine, but... I didn't demand the food allotted to the governor. Let me ask you a question. If you're the governor and you've got 200 people at your dinner table, 
but you're not taking it from the people, you're not taking the food that's given to you, where'd the food come from? It came from Nehemiah. Nehemiah took his money, his wealth, his personal cash, he paid to feed these 200-some people. He could have demanded, bring me the food given to the governor that my table might be full for my guests. That would impress them, and it would cost him nothing. It was one of those perks. But instead he said, you know what? Remember David? He, he's going to sacrifice to the Lord, and the guy says, here, take this sheep, give it to the Lord. I've given it to you, king. What did David say? He says, I would not give to my God something that cost me nothing. David, who could have taken it, offered it to the Lord, would not take and give to God something that cost him nothing. It costs you to be here on Sunday morning, amen? Thank you. Thank you that you got up. Thank you that you left cutting your grass and trimming your hedges and pulling your vegetables. Thank you that you left cleaning the wallpaper and shampooing the carpet because your wife hit you over the head and said, go clean the carpets. Thank you for leaving all your honeydews to be here because you've sacrificed something to be in God's house, to give him that time and that attention. When you go to the Philippines next year, if you go, it's going to cost you about $2,000. If you don't have it, but you think God's taking you there, commit yourself. The money will be there. God ain't broke, Amen. Now, here's the thing. God doesn't always show us what we need before we get there. There was a whole lot of stuff going on with us before we ever left Tacoma to come here. We were not sure we had the money to get here. But you know what? God provides all the time everything that you need. Because God ain't broke. He will give it to you. Here's the thing. Nehemiah would not set before the people something that cost the poor and cost him nothing. Just like David, he gave it of himself. If you give up that day to come here, it's a Friday, to come work on the dental truck with us, it's going to take you some time. I used to take our kids out to go feed the homeless in downtown Tacoma. If you go to downtown Tacoma, these are people that eat, sleep, and do everything in their clothes for the entire length of the winter, and the winter's nine months long. To say that they smelled interesting would be an understatement. It costs you to serve people in God's name. And you know what? It should. It should. If we only help the people that we like, if we only serve the people that are clean, that are like us, if we only serve the people that look like us and speak like us, what have we done? Jesus said the Pharisees are nice to people that are nice to them, but there's no blessing in that. Giving to somebody who can never give back to you, that's a blessing. That's what Nehemiah did. He didn't even like some of these people. And he blessed them rather than tax and hurt the poor. That's important. Here's an attitude adjustment for you. 1 Thessalonians 2, 9. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. Paul said, I'm a tent maker. Y'all know what a tent maker is? Let me give you an insight. There's two things that a tent maker could be in the Hebrew language. The first is literally a man who makes tents, a man who sews living structures. But this word right here that, that they use for Paul, a tent maker, 
It also refers to the prayer shawl that goes over the shoulders of, a, of, a, of an Orthodox Jew. Because it is finely woven, it's intricately detailed, it has on it the corners, the, 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 the helot string. It's a very beautiful garment. And it goes over the head during prayer. It's a tent of meeting. It's a personal tent of meeting. It could be that Paul was gifted at sewing and making these beautiful prayer shawls. And that's why he could go anywhere at any time and ply his trade. So Paul would work all day long and then come to the evening time and then he would preach. Do you know why? I mean, he says the workman deserves his pay. Paul said that. The workman deserves his pay. So why didn't he take it? That I might not be a burden to any of you. That's the point. That's the heart. I don't want to burden you, so I'm going to take it up. I'm going to work hard so that you don't have to. Imagine in church if we spent every day trying to outdo each other in goodness, graciousness, kindness, and acts of mercy. Can you imagine if everybody was so intent on being gracious that we were falling over each other to serve each other? Oh, no, don't pick up that chair. I'll pick up that chair. Oh, no, don't, don't soothe that baby. Let me soothe that baby. Oh, no, don't feed yourself. Let me feed you. Let's not go nuts here. But you see the idea. You see the idea. What's going Daniel 1, 6 through 9 says this. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Y'all know who those cats were? Great names, aren't they? I'm gonna, I should have named my first kid Hananiah. Or Mishael or Azariah, but those are boys' names. Of the tribe of Judah. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief, just give me vegetables and check me out. If I'm sick, I'll start eating that stuff. But if I look better, leave me alone to pay homage to my God. Daniel could have had everything that the king had. The best food, the best wine, the best of everything. But Daniel knew that this was sacrificed to a false god. And because it was sacrificed to a false god, he wasn't going to touch it. Let me ask you a question, church. I struggle with this. So I'm preaching to myself as well as preaching to you. How much of the junk that we waste our income on is stuff that we waste because it's been sacrificed to idols in the world? Because it's lifted up in commercials. It's set before us as something fantastic. This is one thing I don't understand. How is it that in the same house, you can have people who can barely pay you know, for food, and barely, but they've got every piece of technology known to man? I have a friend of mine back in Tacoma. He's a techno junkie. Techno junkie. You go to his house. If it's a piece of technology, he has it. If he bought a new this today and next week it came out, he would take it, trade it back in and get the new one. He did that once. He got an Apple computer, a little Apple laptop. Two days later, they announced a, a different memory chip. He went back and made them give him a new memory chip, even though he bought it the way it was. Nothing wrong with it. He just wanted the new memory. He was so focused on being at the cutting edge of technology, so focused on all this stuff that the man lived from check to check, and if anything ever happened to him, he was in deep doo-doo, man. Why do we sell out for all this stuff that the world says is so important? You know? I, I, don't, I don't understand that. But we do. Just like this, Nehemiah kept himself back. Daniel kept himself back. They considered their obedience to God as something more important. 
I don't want to make a, a crass comparison, but think about this. Would you rather take your kids to Miami Beach, Florida, doing a two-week mission trip where you're hanging out in the streets at 120 degrees, where you're handing out tracts, where you're being insulted for being Jesus freaks, would you rather spend your money and do that, or would you rather take them to Disney World? It's just down the street. I know. God forgives. It's okay. No, I, nothing, I took my family to Disney a couple years ago. There's nothing wrong with Disney World. But what I'm saying is this. One of the reasons to keep your debts under control is to give you the freedom to go where God takes you when God takes you. Nothing wrong with nice TVs. Everybody should have a nice TV. Nothing wrong with iPhone 4S's, except that they have a, they have a glitch. It's an S's, yes. Nothing wrong with iPads. Nothing wrong with any of that stuff. It's all okay, unless it becomes a God to you, unless it becomes a thing that you sacrifice everything to get. Stuff is cool. I'm all in favor of stuff, but not when it takes God's place. That's why you have to keep your eyes on the prize. The prize is being faithful to God, being obedient, being able to share that gospel, being able to bless other people. That's the prize. That's what Nehemiah did. He sacrificed what he could have had, the wealth, the power. I mean, if he had been taking this pound of silver from everybody, this brother would have been rich in the longer, after 12 years, he'd have been Bill Gates. But he chose to reject it all because it would hurt the people from whom he took it. Let's finish it up. Nehemiah 5, 19. One last verse. You need to trust God for your reward. Don't trust the bank. Don't trust your job. I know people who had all their retirement in Microsoft stocks until Microsoft stocks became worth nothing. I know people that trusted in all kinds of retirement plans. They studied, they researched, they put their money in all these things. And you know what happens? Stock market dives, you've got squat left. Here's the thing. Nehemiah was bleeding money, bleeding money. But then it says this. He prays, remember me favorably, my God, for all that I have done for this people. Nehemiah's only recourse was to ask God to bless him because he had been faithful to what God sent him to do. He had rejected the money. He had rejected the polluted standards of the people. He had rejected the idea of becoming favorable with all the... He could have, he could have bought the favor of all these people that he, he hacked off. But instead, he stayed faithful to God, stayed faithful, faithful to the purpose that God sent him to do. If you are faithful to God in all that you do, you will find opposition among your closest friends and family. If you stay faithful to God, people will think that you are nuts because you're not taking your opportunities where you find them. Consider this, Judges 16, 28 through 30. There was a guy named Samson. Samson was blessed by God with amazing strength, could not be bound, could not be tied down. He was so powerful that the Philistines feared him. You know what his downfall was? He got his eyes off the Lord and put his eyes on a woman. I said it before, I'll say it again. If you are single, do not ever date a non-Christian. Don't do it. The Lord may show you favor and may bring them to faith later. And he may not. And if he does not, they will drag you down before you can lift them up. I have seen that over 20 plus years of ministry 
anybody that I've ever known who dated a non-Christian, it cost them tremendously. It cost them tremendously. So Samson does all this stuff. At the end, where is he? Delilah has the barber come in, cuts off his hair. Now he's a slave. His eyes are gouged out. They bring him in to laugh at him. It says this, that Samson called on the Lord. Oh, Lord God, please remember me. It's oh, a familiar prayer. And please strengthen me this once, O oh God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one and left hand on the other. And Samson said, let me die with these Philistines. And he bowed with all of his strength, and the house fell upon the Lord's and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those he had killed during his life. Nobody believed the story. Even biblical scholars didn't believe it. You know why? Because they looked at these Greek churches, these Greek temples. Greek temples have massive stone pillars that go all the way around the outside and then down the middle, right? This was not a Greek temple. They have gone to the Middle East, Near East actually. They have looked at some, I think they were Sumerian temples. All Sumerian temples were a massive platform on the top, a massive platform on the bottom, and only two wooden pillars in the center that sat on stone feet. Consider this. Greeks, solid stone up and down. You could beat your head against it all day long and you couldn't touch it. These Sumerian temples, wooden pillar, wooden pillar, stone feet, stone top. You can't attach wood to stone. It simply sat on it. Because nobody would ever believe you would enter a temple to destroy it. That you would enter a temple to knock it down. Perhaps even a, a usual, an ordinary man couldn't have done this. An ordinary man could not have dislodged those two pillars. But this was Samson, blessed with the power of God to bring it down. And I tell you something, there are two pillars in your life, two pillars that will kill you every time. And these are the two pillars that Nehemiah avoided. The first is selfishness. Me, myself, and I. This is what I think I should do. This is what I need to do for me. This is the me time thing. That is the one pillar you need to put a hand against because right next to it is the other pillar, and that's the pillar of greed and pride. You get caught between selfishness and greed and pride, and you are a slave. You're chained up just like Samson was. But when God gives you the power through the rebirth that comes in Jesus Christ and you dislodge those things, what happens? All that worldly junk falls on you and kills you. But here's the great thing. Our God has a wonderful way of raising the dead to new life in Jesus Christ. Amen? How symbolic is that? We have to die in the collapse of all the things that we trust so that God can raise us up to a brand new life that doesn't need all that, that doesn't have our whole world built on two unstable pillars. God doesn't put anything in the Bible by accident. It's all got a lesson. It's all going to teach us something. So when I say trust God for the word, Samson trusted. He trusted that God would give him the strength one last time to die with the dignity that he had at the beginning of his work. And I'm asking you today, where are you at today in your life? All of us have chances to cheat and to lie. All of us have chances to fudge the numbers. Tax time is coming up, y'all. Tax time is coming up. And I know people, I know people every year who lie to the IRS. And I say, 
don't do that. That's not smart. And they go, but I haven't been caught yet. And I always say, you will be. You will get caught. And then they will go back and they will find every chance you cheated on and it will crush you and destroy you and you will wish to God you had listened to this advice. If there's any of that stuff going on, if you're lying to yourself about who you are, if you're cheating yourself out of time with God, you say, you know, I don't have time. I don't have time to listen to those sermons during the week. I go on Sunday and that's enough. You know, I'm the one that gets to preach on Sunday, so I get the blessing of six days. I get to go to my iTunes and I get to open up my pastors and I get to listen to them. You know, Adrian Rogers is one of my pastors. He's been dead now for a while, but Adrian preaches even from the grave. He preaches amazing, amazing message. Alistair Begg, a Scotsman, still preaching, still powerful. Those are my pastors. They challenge me. They sharpen me. And I'll tell you something. I couldn't go through a week without receiving that. Because as the one who gives on Sunday, I also need to receive. So when I really feel low spiritually, I have Lenny come over and preach to me. And then I feel built up again. Because it's true. No, it's... When you're a pastor, you need other pastors in your life to correct you and to see what you can't see in yourself. Of course, most of my mistakes, my wife's already caught, so I'm good there. But occasionally, Lindy catches those little ones for me and keeps me going, keeps me honest. Okay, so what about me? What does this mean to you today? How do you, how do you wrap this up? Three questions. One, are you careful not to demand your freedom at the cost of others? This happens all the time. We've talked about it so many times. We say, you know what? God doesn't really need me to have a quiet time today. He just needs me to love him. No, God saved you to walk with him. He redeemed you to have a relationship with him. That relationship is 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year until you die. And yes, on leap year, you have to meet with the Lord 366 days. So there's an extra day in there. Two, am I focused on the work of the kingdom and not on my own kingdom? That's a, that's a problem for pastors. I'll tell you right now, that's a problem for pastors. Pastors struggle with building their own kingdom. But so do men. Let men, let's be honest, we want to build our kingdom. We want to build our kingdom to show how good we are, how smart we are, how talented we are, how much we've done, how much we've accumulated, how much we can account for in the world. Because men always ask those questions. You get together with guys. See, women, women talk about, well, who does your shoes? Where did you get your hair done? Or what kind of dress is that? Women talk about things that matter. Men are all about like, wow, so how much money did you make last year? Really, what do you get your money invested in? Or, or what kind of car is that? Or, or how much was that watch? It's not a Rolex, it's a Rolex. You know, those things, you know. So guys, guys get caught up in the kingdom building. But it's not the kingdom of God, it's my kingdom. Here's the thing, my kingdom has to fall. John the Baptist, Jesus said he was the greatest of all men who had come to that point. Yet he says, you can be greater than him. And John the Baptist was a hard act to follow, amen? He's quite a man. So gentlemen, we have to not be about our kingdom. Ladies, your children are a gift to you for a short time. They are not you. Don't live your life through them. They are not a reflection of you. If they are struggling, that's not a reflection on you. Women stress out over their children. At least this is what I've heard, having never been a woman. It's what I hear. You know, I know a lot of women that live their lives through their, through their daughters. 
Whatever they weren't, they want their daughter to be. They have them going to classes 24 hours a day, seven days a week to become everything they can be instead of what they really are, which is themselves. So be careful about building the kingdom of God and not your own personal kingdom because all of our personal kingdoms will fall to ashes when we stand before Jesus and only those things done for him through his power and his authority, only those things will stand. Finally, do I, do you trust God to reward you according to his plan and, or am I keeping something back for a rainy day? Sometimes we, we want to tithe, but we don't. Thinking, I don't know, I've got some bills coming in, I might want to keep that money back here. You know, I really can't go on a mission trip right now because I'm looking at doing this or I'm looking at doing that. I want to remodel the house. I want to redo this or whatever. So we say, you know, Lord, I'll give it to you later. If the Lord moves on you to give it, give it. If the Lord moves on you to do it, do it. Now, it's not about money. It's about you. Give yourself. If you're going to be here for the dental truck, great. If you're going to be in here testing people's blood for for different pathogens and stuff, that's cool. If you're going to be here handing out food, that's good. If you're going to be here handing out clothes, that's good. If you're not here, that's good. You know why? Because you're going to be at that neighbor's house saying, can I pray for you? I know you're going through a hard time. Or you're going to be ministering to somebody in your family who's going through a rough spell. Maybe your sister Marilyn just needs you to call her on the phone and say, how's it going, girl? Are you okay? Can I pray for you? You know, wherever you're at, whatever you're doing, your life is about ministering to people in Jesus' name. It doesn't have to be seen. In fact, those things that are unseen are the greatest of all things. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you and I praise you. Lord, I thank you that Nehemiah was a man just like us. Father, he had a chance to get money. He had a chance to get all that food. He had a chance to be praised. He was the governor. He could have lived in comfort, Lord. Yet you moved him to get dirty, to get filthy, to get sweaty, to get worn out in your service building that wall. God, I pray that we today will get up and be involved in the job of building the kingdom. Father God, I just pray that like Nehemiah, we will keep our eyes on the prize. That Father, we would not be about accumulating wealth or building our own personal kingdom or, or, or doing those things that only we can profit from, Lord, but we see the burden of others especially the burden of prayer. That, Father, we take precious time away from TV and time away from movies and time away from hobbies to stop and to pray and to lift other people up or to call them on the phone or to send them a text and to tell them that we're praying for them today. So God, help us to keep our eyes on that prize. And Lord, I trust you today that no matter what I give in this life, no matter what I have or what I don't have, Father, I know that every word spoken for you, every act of kindness done in your name, every time I mention your son or your salvation to another person, that, Father, that is one more act that will live in eternity to give you glory because you're worthy. <clears throat> Father, let us learn from Nehemiah today to be those kind of people. Amen.